You're listening to Uncovered, The Lover's Lane Murders. I'm Kayla Branch, and when we left off in episode one, the murders of David Sloan and Cheryl Benham had just happened after they left a fraternity party in Norman. We'll pick back up the day the bodies were found. I'd been to law enforcement academy at LSU for 90 days, and I was going to take a couple weeks off, and I went in to the office to pick up my expense checks from expenses I'd turned in down there. Um, I was actually in the bank parking lot. I remember where I was, and, and the chief agent called me on the radio and asked me if I'd go down to Norman and assist him with a vehicle they'd recovered that was involved in a missing person case. And, you know, I didn't want to very bad, but um, I thought, well, it'll be a piece of cake. You know, I, uh, I live in Midwest City, and I drive down there. We can process that car in an hour or two, and I can you know, back down Sunday Lane to Midwest City and yeah. uh, ended up, I don't know how many days and nights we worked at first on that, several. And uh, and then, like I said, it, you know, 48 years later. Uh, For Ken Jacobson, that was his introduction to the murders of Cheryl Benham and David Sloan. He was working as a recent recruit to the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation in 1970 and was assigned to the case full-time. When the OSBI, along with the Norman Police Department and the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, found the bodies on Monday, May 11th, Cheryl and David had been missing for just over 24 hours. By early morning Sunday, Cheryl's dad had driven to Norman to speak with police and report her missing. Linda, Cheryl's older sister by two years, stayed at their family home in Oklahoma City with her mom. Early the next morning, when my sister had not come home, and we knew something was wrong, I remember my mother faking me, Linda, Linda, have you heard from Sherry? I'm like, what? And I began to hear all this, you know, she never came home last night. And I tell you, my very first thought was, oh, my God, Sherry. Are you in trouble now? My dad was gone for daylight driving to Norman. So my mom, of course, is there, and I was there with her. And I was pretty tough. My mother finally said, I've got to call Miss Sloan and tell her what's going on, you know, because she didn't know. So she did. My mother hung up the phone. She said she's on her way. This is one of the only times we ever came across the Sloan family coming to Norman to be involved with the case. David's mom raised him and her other children on her own, according to Linda. The family was polite and helpful after the murders, but wanted more than anything else to just move on. Cheryl's family started thinking of possibilities of what could have happened. Maybe Cheryl had been drugged. Maybe the war protesters from earlier that week had started rioting. When David's mom arrived at the Benham house later that Sunday, Linda decided she was going to leave for Norman to see if she could help find Cheryl. I don't know, Kayla. There's just something about when something like this happens. You feel like you, you, yourself, what can I do? I've got to do something. And... The neighbor across the street had gone to OU, her and her husband, 
So I called her and I explained that, you know, Sherry went on the state last night, she isn't home yet, and I said, I just, I said, my dad's been in Norman all day, you know. I, my mind was just, where can I go? What could have happened, you know? Anyway, she, she took me, she drove me to Norman, but I think she suggested, hey, let's go to the police station and see if anything come up. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, okay. So, when I walked in there, and they go, can we help you? And I just said that my sister is missing, and I just wondered if you, and they just stopped me, and they go, what is her name? And when I said, Sherry Benham, they turned to me and went, you need to go home. I said, well, my dad is, no, you need to go home now. And I thought, well, call me naive. I was all my life, wanting to believe the best. And I didn't think, I just went, oh gosh, you know, I bet she's in in trouble. You're going to probably think, how could anybody be as naive as I was? But I was. Okay. I call. My dad picks up the phone. So... I go, Dad, it's Linda, tell Mama, Mama, wait, okay. I said, Dad, Dad, did you find Sherry? Did they find Sherry? Yes. Come on home. So I hung up. I said, Judy, they found her, let's go. My dad had to, well, they did find her. Well. Police had started investigating where Cheryl and David could have been after Cheryl's dad filed the missing persons report. They questioned an ex-girlfriend of David's who said they had sometimes went to the 10 Mile Flats area after dates. 10 Mile Flats is the official name of the area that was home to many of Norman's secluded roads, which were commonly known as Lover's Lanes. When police got there, the crime scene had been swept clean. No murder weapon, no footprints, no tire tracks. DNA testing wasn't being used yet, so police had few options. Some personal belongings had been strewn around the car, like a bracelet Ken Jacobson, the OSBI investigator from earlier, found and gave back to Cheryl's parents. David's keys, wallet, and shoes were all missing too. But there were also bullet casings, almost 30 of them, scattered in the dirt and brush. David and Cheryl were each shot at least 10 times, and David's car had multiple bullet holes through the rear of the car and the trunk. This was the only physical evidence in the entire case. They were from a 22 caliber weapon. And, the, you know, the reason a 22 was used is because you can't do any kind of ballistics on a 22 as far as rifling or anything like out of the barrel. You can do that on larger guns. Mm-hmm. The only thing we had to work with was the shell casing that had been ejected. And uh, the firing pin makes a distinct impression on the shell casing and this one was unusual you know that again uh, a guy that knowledge of firearms would pick a 22 to use Uh, you know all you got to worry about is that firing pin and Mm -hmm. if you throw the gun in the river well you know your evidence is gone whoever did that knew about crime scenes knew about firearms, um, 
You know, they knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They did a good job of it. As far as cleaning it up. Really. After finding the car and the bodies, officers from all of the agencies came together to sweep the area. They walked up and down the field, finding a few things, more bullets mostly. Mike Brake, a police reporter for the Oklahoma Journal in 1970, he has an old binder with newspaper clippings, police reports, and photos he took of the crime scene when it was discovered. He showed us this information he had collected over the years. The Norman Police Department said it didn't hold any official records back that far that we could use to verify specific details. The next few days were chaos. The police department brought in dozens of suspects, potential witnesses, family members, and friends to interview. They took in Cheryl's ex-boyfriend for questioning. They had broken up a few months before, but Jacobson said he just wasn't the type to commit a murder. They arrested a man who was picked up on the side of the road in a different town because someone reported him as having blood on his clothes. He was found to not be involved with the case at all, though. David's fraternity went out to search the field as well, but they didn't find anything helpful. On the following Wednesday and Thursday, funerals were held. Sloan's was in Amarillo at the First Presbyterian Church that Wednesday. Brake saved a newspaper article about Cheryl's funeral the next day. 200 people go to my funeral home. It's on Thursday. There's a quote about her right there. She loved life and lived to make people happy, Dr. Bellamy said. He told of her young friends that detailing her high moral character and firm Christian beliefs, then urged the crowd, especially the young, to trust in God, words he said he believed Sherry would have said. Articles about the murders were all over the central Oklahoma news, and Linda said her family was asked to do multiple interviews those next few days. There were press conferences asking for information, and a reward fund was set up, raising thousands of dollars to give to anyone who could provide helpful details. Jacobson said calls flooded in, but every one of them led to a dead end, except one, a few days later. The call came from a TV station in Amarillo, Texas, a few days after the murders. A reporter there had a tip about someone on Norman's police force. And I believe this is correct. I can't say this for sure. I think he contacted okay. I've somebody here and said, there's a guy in your town there who was a bad apple out here who's known for messing with Lover's Lane Cup. And they started checking around to him and found out he was on probation and shouldn't ever been hired by the Norman Police Department in the first place. Mm -hmm. That man was Frank Gilly. Frank made a couple of comments to me. After the bodies were taken out of the car, several Norman officers lined up and walked across the area there to see if we'd find anything. And he told me, he said, I knew that smart punk in Amarillo. And I remember at the time I thought, well, that's a cold statement to make, you know, the guys uh, just took him out of the trunk, you know, he'd been shot dozen times or so and he came up to me and volunteered that you know none of the other officers had anything to say they just did what they were supposed to do but uh frank wants you to know that he was on top of everything and you know and, uh, he was a little bit ahead of these other guys we heard this again from brake who had a copy of the official police reports ken filed the day they found the bodies there was no official record at any check out in Texas, to indicate that Gilly had ever made contact with Sloan. Okay? Officially. Officially. Mm -hmm. Handwritten here, Ken Jacobson's handwriting, Gilly made verbal statement on 5-12-70. This agent, that he was personally acquainted with Sloan and had 
trouble with that wise punk in Amarillo two or three times. The phone call from the Amarillo TV station eventually prompted some case investigators to seriously look into Gilly, but by that point, he was gone. Next time on Uncovered, the Lover's Lane Murders. We had three couples who identified him after he left the police department out. And I have here the, uh, the statements. After this happened, oh, you can imagine that's all we thought about. I mean, every day you think, you know, were they were they taken there? Were they there parking? And so he, he came up on them because he does like to do that. The political structure in Cleveland County at the time was just unbelievable. Oh. When officers are tipped off to start investigating Frank Gilly as a suspect in the double homicide of David Sloan and Cheryl Benham, the Norman police force splits into two groups working against each other. Those pressing to charge Gilly uncover what they believe to be undeniable evidence, but the stakes may have been too high for those who wish to keep Gilly from being arrested. <laughs> 